It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday May 23rd 2013. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Actually great to see you there. We, we This is about three weeks since we've sat here together. I was gone two weeks ago. You were gone last week, so we've been out, uh, sort of out of pocket for the last couple of weeks, but we're back in our normal seats tonight. Glad to be back with you. As said, it has been a while, and uh, looking forward to a good discussion tonight on uh, what you were, when I saw uh, your suggestion for topics tonight, I thought, wow, you're being pretty ambitious. Yeah, we got, if, you can, I, if we can get through these, we can do something here. I got five things that I suggested that we would talk about on our uh, program tonight. We'll, we'll comment. We'll, we'll explain those here in just a minute. I want to uh, tell our listeners about some good news uh, in your family and mine, Jacob. Uh, many will be interested to know that you and your wife, Nikki, had your third baby, a healthy baby girl, on Monday, Emily Ruth, and we're grateful to God for that. We Congratulations. Are. Thank you. Thank you. God answered prayers, and uh, everything turned out well. So I thought maybe some would be glad to hear that good news, and we're grateful for it. Um, as you said, Jake, if we suggested uh, uh, several Bible topics under the common thread of denominational doctrines, some things that are commonly taught in the denominational religious world, we want to sort of understand how these concepts are argued and look to the Bible to see if they're so or not. All right. Five uh, of those. Give us five, those. Five of them. The first one is faith only salvation. Okay. And baptism is not necessary. You're saved by faith only. Baptism is not necessary. Uh, yeah, you hear that a lot. Now, what, we, what we're going to ask about each one of these is how is this commonly argued and what's the truth on the subject? In other words, how is it argued and is that the truth or is there something, some other way to understand this uh, according to the scripture? So okay. each one of these we're going to ask how is it commonly argued and what is the truth? First okay. one is faith only salvation. Baptism is not necessary. Second one is once saved, always saved. Okay. Third one is instrumental music in worship. Okay. Fourth one is miracles are still being performed by men today. Mm -hmm. And the fifth one is premillennialism. Okay. Now, that, like you said, that's a pretty aggressive uh, agenda for our hour-long study night. We ask uh, for some simple, direct uh, answers to these questions and we got a good answer from our frequent correspondent from England, Chris. And Chris has responded. Not the way uh, you expected, though. Well, uh, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but Chris has actually actually takes a different view than us on three of these five questions, the first three, in, five, uh, in fact. Okay. Uh, he differs with us on faith-only salvation, uh, the necessity of baptism, once saved, always saved, and instrumental music. So... What I thought we'd do, since Chris is kind enough to write to us to explain his position, and he is one of our faithful correspondents, we appreciate him for that, we thought we'd just take his answers to, this, to this, these first three questions anyway and deal extensively with what he said. He actually made his response or posed his response in the form of a number of 
follow-up questions. Well, so we can answer those and deal with those. And uh, maybe you would agree with Chris in the chat room tonight or over the phone, 877-381-4567, or email questions at collegeview.com. Maybe you agree with Chris and would like to uh, to uh, join in the discussion on that from that angle, or perhaps you disagree with Chris and you would like to uh, send your comments in as well. We welcome those on the program tonight. These are common issues that people disagree on, so it's good to have both sides of the Yeah, and uh, we're glad, uh, Chris. I, and I think it's uh, middle of the night over there in England. Uh, sometimes Chris listens uh, live uh, and is in the chat room. I don't see him in there tonight. Uh, uh, so we'll, we're going to take his answers, and I'm sure he'll listen in archive form or, or in some other way. Uh, but we're going to take his answers and try to deal honorably with them. We appreciate Chris very much, and uh, although we disagree on some of these vital questions, uh, we don't want to be disagreeable. No, that's right, and we would welcome Chris's response at any time on this as well. Okay, so let's start out with faith-only salvation. Faith-only salvation. That you're saved by faith only, and baptism is not necessarily necessary. I ask, how is this commonly argued? Chris said, this is how I see it. Okay. So, as you want me to be succinct, this is what I will go with, and trust me, this is the briefest I could be, he says. And uh, this is very brief for, 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 for him. Chris. Yeah. yeah, Chris offices this is for, you know, many pages of response, and uh, tonight we've got all of his responses on four pages, so this is brief for him. He starts out by saying, Romans 4, verse 5 says that he who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Okay. Um, the uh, Romans 4, verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That's right. All right. The book of Romans has a lot to say about faith and the right, wor- and the right understanding of faith. Uh, as in all things, we've got to be careful about taking verses out of their broader context, and I think that's the case with Romans. There are, admittedly, some statements in the book of Romans Romans, which taken as standalone verses, could lead one to the conclusion that you're saved by faith and nothing else is necessary. But I think it's always great to look at the broader context when there's ever a question. Mm-hmm. And in the book of Romans in particular, I think it's interesting that the, the book starts out, Romans 1 verse 5, by saying, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So the book of Romans starts out by talking about obedience to the faith. It ends the next to last verse uh, in the book, chapter 16 and verse 26 says, but now this is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So, at both the very beginning of the book of Romans and at the very end of the book of Romans, there's a linkage between obedience and faith. I think it'd be a mistake to take anything said in between those two statements to argue that faith and obedience are sep- can be separated, that there's no linkage. I think there's definitely a linkage, and Paul started and ended the book of Romans by talking about that. I agree with that. And uh, I would also uh, note that a similar passage, a similar statement is made, from Romans chapter 4, I think uh, verse 9 uh, talks about Abraham, where his faith was reckoned or accounted to him as righteousness. Yeah. The same phrase is used in James chapter 2, verse 23, in that famous passage where we see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. 
Verse 23 of James chapter 2 says, The scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Same same phrase there uh, from Romans chapter 4 is used in James chapter uh, 2, and James chapter 2, the the verse following says you've got to believe and obey in order to be uh, justified in God's sight. Okay, and, and mentions Abraham in the in that yeah, same same phrase, phrase and, same, well, and refers to Abraham there. In, in Hebrews eleven, Abraham is mentioned. Hebrews eleven verse eight: By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. Uh, so, um, in verse seventeen, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and so. I think what we what we want to say here clearly is that we believe in faith, we believe in justification by faith, but we got to understand what that faith is. Furthermore, and, uh, to answer the question, Chris asks, he says, do you, so do you agree when a person believes he is righteous in God's sight? No, I don't, because James chapter 2, verse 19 says even the demons believe and tremble. Okay. Demons aren't righteous in God's sight. Uh, and so, no, I do not believe that when a person believes, he's counted righteous in God's sight. That would be right when we use the word believe to mean simply to acknowledge. Right. What's what's very important to understand in the scripture is that the context of statements has to determine whether faith is being used or belief, the word belief or believe is being used in the very most basic sense of acknowledgement or whether it's being used in the sense of an encompassing right. uh, concept Faith and and its linked obedience is sometimes referenced, uh, but but when it comes to faith only, as you you've already referenced James two, uh, James two twenty four, we often have have pointed out that it's the only place in the whole scripture that uses the expression faith only, and it says you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only, and so. Uh, Chris says, do you do you agree that when a person believes he is righteous in God's sight? It depends what you mean by believe. If you mean just to accept or acknowledge the facts about Jesus, then no. As you said, Jacob, he's not. Right. If not, how do you contradict what the Scripture says? Well, we're not contradicting right. the Scripture. We're accepting the Scripture. We're trying to understand the whole of it. Right. How can uh, the, the question that we would pose back to Chris or anybody else is, how do you harmonize Romans 4, verse 5, where it says faith is counted as righteousness with James 2.24 that says we're not saved by faith only. And the only way to harmonize those is to understand that the faith that justifies is a, is not faith only, but a faith that's encompassing obedience. In fact, you cannot divorce a true faith from the works of obedience, as I think James chapter James 2 is 2, telling 8, us. James 2.18 says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Right. It's really the only way to demonstrate faith. Is by our work. All right. So you could use the word faith there to include obedience, as James, Romans chapter four is, include, is is using the term, because they are so inseparable. Uh, the question back to Chris would be: uh, He asked, "So do you agree a person when he believes is righteous in God's sight?" We would say not necessarily if that faith is without obedience. Uh, Chris says it is that if faith without obedience is righteousness in God's sight. Our question back to Chris would be: Then are demons righteous in God's sight? Yeah. According to from James or James chapter uh, one verse, uh, uh, yeah, you're talking about Abraham. James chapter two. James yeah. chapter two. Uh, oh, what, know, what is that about? Believe and tremble. That's about verse nineteen, is it or twenty? Uh, yeah, verse nineteen. You're right. Yeah. 
and and then also about Abraham, uh, where it says, uh, verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And so only when faith is linked with works yes. is it a saving faith. Right. Uh, a faith that doesn't have works associated with it is a faith akin to that which the demons possess, yes. and it, it is not a justifying faith. All right. So I think that's the that's the answer to this. It's not a contradiction. Uh, I don't think we've got a contradiction in our position, but if you're going to take Romans 4, verse 5 by itself, then you've got a contradiction with James 2 and other places in the Scripture. All right. Um, Okay. Chris follow, goes on to say, "If a, uh, let's see, how are we doing on time? Yeah, we got just a minute for it. Uh, is a sinner who has prayed and asked the Lord Jesus to forgive him of his sins actually forgiven, or is he still in a state of damnation until he gets baptized? You know what? I think we got an actual case study that Ooh. we can reference in regard to that. Give me that. And we're talking about Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter nine, road to Damascus. Oh, All right. Okay. So." We remember, we won't read all this in Acts chapter 9, but on the road to Damascus, Saul saw the Lord Jesus and spoke with him. He was left blind. Uh, it says in Acts 9 verse 8, Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Yes. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in. All right, so here's Saul. Now, you couldn't doubt the fact that he believed in Jesus. He saw him. He spoke to him. He called uh-huh. him Lord. We didn't read that, but uh, uh, yeah. in verse 6, he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Yes. And Jesus said, Go into the city. It will be told thee what thou must do. Okay. Verse 6. So he sees the Lord, he speaks to the Lord, he believes in the Lord. Mm-hmm. He goes into the city, he's fasting and praying for three days. Now, to the question asked by Chris, is a sinner who has prayed and asked the Lord to forgive him of his sins actually forgiven, or is he still in a state of damnation until he gets baptized? Well, this Ananias comes to Saul, and we actually know what he said to him because Paul retold the story in Acts 22. In Acts 22... At verse 16, Paul said that Ananias came in and asked him, verse 16, Acts 22, 16, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here's a man who believed in the Lord Jesus and who was praying, and he wasn't saved. He was still in his sins, and his sins had to be washed and away. And don't you think Paul had to be saying, God, forgive me, I'm sorry I did that. I mean, Jesus well, told him it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And, Je- and, and he and, knew that he had been responsible for imprisoning yeah. and killing yeah. Christians. Certainly. I mean, certainly. I mean, it, it doesn't say, that he, but certainly it doesn't say that he asked for saying, forgiveness, I mean, but, but what would he be praying yeah. about if he wasn't praying for forgiveness? Right, yeah. Thank you for this food. I mean, well, yeah. No, he wasn't, well, praying. he wasn't eating. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't even eating. Yeah. So I, I think... Paul stands as an, a, a, a classic answer to the question that Chris has asked. Okay. If a person prays and asks Jesus to forgive him of all his sins, is he forgiven or not? Let me, let me, I, I would say not. And I would ask Chris to find an example of one person in the Bible who prayed in to the, the Lord Testament, in the New the Testament who prayed to the Lord Jesus for his sins to be forgiven. Christian or non-Christian, find me an example of one person who prayed to the Lord Jesus to ask to have his sins forgiven, and that it was accomplished in that manner. 
I don't, I don't know of any case where it even happened, but it certainly never was accomplished in that matter. In the book of Acts, we've got thousands of cases of conversions of people who became Christians, and in every case, they were baptized. Don't see an example of prayer involved in that, uh, showing that yeah. they were saved as well. You know, actually, we've done, in the past, we've done uh, a whole program on the sinner's prayer, those okay. who teach faith. and, and but, yeah. but, but we would ask, uh, at one other point before we go to break, and we've got a little more to talk about here, but we need to get to our first break. But if it's faith only, where does prayer come into faith only? If it's salvation by faith only, why do I even have to pray? That's something more than faith. It is. He goes on. He says, if a person prays and asks Jesus to forgive him of all his sins, is he forgiven or not? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, well, I don't think John 14, verse 14 says that. Well, you've got to uh, exactly. remember who he was talking to right. in John 14, 14. He was talking to his disciples he was making promises. He did say, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But he was speaking to his disciples who were obviously believers who were already his devoted disciples. And he is making promises to them concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit and so forth. So contextually, that's not a promise to everybody, uh, regardless of their spiritual standing with God. Okay. All right. Uh, there we go. Uh, let's uh, let's take a break. We're overdue. And we'll get back. We'll continue with Chris's uh questions or answers to us and and his questions to us about this idea of faith only salvation and after we get done with that we're going to talk about the doctrine of once saved always saved we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567 again we appreciate chris for giving us his answers and uh, we appreciate the opportunity to examine a different uh uh viewpoint than ours and uh, compare it with the scriptures to make sure that uh, we do understand the scriptures as we should. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. We were made by God for God, and therefore life without God makes no sense. The national anthem of hell is, I did it my way. Christian, by your life and example, do you make it easier for other people to believe in God? Some people are like blisters. They never show up until the work is almost done. 
Television is an invention that permits you to be entertained in your living room by people you wouldn't have in your home. When all is said and done, a lot more is said than done. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight. Some good quotes there in your segment there. Appreciate those. And we appreciate you for being a part of the program tonight. 877-381-4567. As we talk about some various denominational doctrines. Chris in the UK has submitted his answers to our questions earlier today, and he disagrees with us on many of these. And so, we're, so in, in all due respect to Chris, because we really do appreciate him and his frequent participation with us on the program, we're just using his answers to sort of work our way through these questions because uh, it, it clearly helps us to, to to deal with the explanation of someone who differs with us on these questions all right kevin says i can certainly understand the position regarding the value of our works i recognize that my works cannot do very much in relation to my salvation in and of themselves however we can't take this concept to the extreme by saying the works aren't absolutely necessary based on the scriptures referenced anthony responds in the chat room we do good works because we're commanded to and because we strive to love our fellow man we don't do them to earn our salvation, though if we do them, we are, by definition, doing right. I think both of those comments are, are correct, and I would agree. Last week on the program, Jacob, when you were absent, we talked about some different verses that are often misused. And one of the ones that came up was Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, yeah. where it says, By grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we were talking about that last week, we were pointing out the fact he actually tells what kind of works are not a part of our salvation. That is, works wherein we could boast. Yes. And as Kevin said, there's no works that could earn us our salvation. Uh, and we're not saying that any of the works necessary, including baptism, are going to earn us salvation. But right. they are acts of faith in compliance with the commands of God necessary for salvation. Yes. Uh, by faith. Uh, we are justified, but that faith is a working faith. It always really has been. And if we look to the Old Testament, if we look to the Old Testament stories that are referenced in Hebrews chapter 11, faith that pleases God is always the faith that's coupled with obedient action. All right. And uh, I guess a question back for Chris would be, if you believe a person is saved by faith only, could a person be saved and right with God without obeying anything. Ever. Without confession, for instance. Without confession. Without ever a giving of their means. But without, as, ever, without ever loving their neighbor. Could a person, I mean, you say a person is saved by faith only. Could a person just say, I believe in Christ and never do anything that's obedient? Yeah. If not, then you don't believe in salvation by faith only, I don't believe. Yeah, and, and, and in Chris's response, he mentions, he, he, he talks about being saved by faith and implies faith by itself alone with nothing else. But then he immediately incorporates prayer as, right. in that. Well, prayer is more than faith only. Right. So, you know, you, you, have, you have to give up your argument. If you include anything else, if you include confession, if you include repentance, if you include prayer, right, then you're you're adding something more than raw basic belief. Yeah, and so uh, we need to stress that. He he goes on. Uh, Chris says a ritual baptism is a set. Uh, he says a ritual is a set of forms and practices. It is a ceremony. Baptism is a ritual, a ceremony where one person administers baptism to another. Therefore, if you maintain that baptism is necessary for salvation, are you not saying that salvation is by faith and a ritual? No. No. Absolutely no. First of all, 
where in the New Testament do we read that that baptism is a ritual? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that that's Chris's label or tag that he's putting on baptism. I don't read baptism identified as a ritual in the New Testament. I understand it is a command of God, just like confession and repentance are commands that precede salvation. So is baptism. Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mm-hmm. 1 Peter 3, 21, Baptism doth also now save us. We already referenced Acts twenty two sixteen. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or unto the remission of your sins. Yeah. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If it's necessary to repent in order to have the remission of sins, it's also necessary to be baptized to have the remission of sins based upon the linkage there in Acts 2, 38. And so we're drawing a conclusion based upon multiple Bible verses that all teach the necessity of baptism. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Let us know your thoughts on the program tonight. And then finally, Chris asks, can you please tell us if a man who has believed in Christ and received him yet dies without being baptized goes to eternal damnation. I would ask to, I'd ask the question to Chris, what do, you, what do you mean by receive Christ? I can define, I think, receiving Christ by the scriptures, and it's not just some kind of emotional thing, emotional uh, assent to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. It is uh, an obedience. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 40, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So that talks about receiving God there or receiving Jesus there in, in Matthew 10, verse 40. But look in Matthew 10, verse 38. Who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. It's very it's, a close, it's associated with obedience there in Matthew chapter 10. So yes, if a person believes Christ and receives him, then he has been obedient. It is not just a faith-only kind of thing that, that many would like to uh, ascribe to it, uh, in this doctrine of faith only. Let me give you another verse that uses that expression, receiving Jesus. John 1, verse 12. John 1, verse 12. The New American Standard Version says, As many as received him, to him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So there's the word received. But it says, to those who received him, he gave the right to become. He, said, he didn't say they become children of God by receiving Jesus. They have the right to become. If they will receive Jesus, they have the right to become the children of God. That would require obedience. And, and, that, and that expression just smacks of conditionality. Yeah. Uh, and the conditions, of course, we believe include baptism for the remission of sins, and as the many verses that we just referenced uh, discussed. All right. Well, we've All right. Well, we, we spent most of our first half, the, almost the first half of our program, dealing with the first question. Jacob. It gives you the idea we're likely not going to get to all five. But uh, please, uh, again, I don't see Chris from the U.K. in our chat room tonight. And so uh, we hope that uh, as he will listen to these comments uh, in the archived version, that he will accept our uh, appreciation for his responses and the fact that we are answering in contradiction to his position, but with all due respect to him, uh, in, in that regard. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back, we'll get into the discussion of once saved, always saved, and we'll give you time if you'd like to send in final comments on the faith-only uh, position for salvation. You can send those thoughts in the chat room. We can take them on the other side. But when we get back, 
We'll get to the discussion of once saved, always saved, the idea that once you're saved, you can never fall away, that once you're saved, you will be saved regardless of what you do. Chris believes that you will be. We'll look at his arguments on the other side of the break. We look forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Join in the discussion during the break. We'll be back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Concerning Abel, the Hebrew writer said, He being dead, yet speaketh. Chapter 11, verse 4. This, of course, is a reference to the fact that Abel's example of faith and obedience continued to serve as a lesson to others long, long after his death, continuing even to those of us living today. While none of us will ever attain to the reputation of Abel, it's still true that our example, for good or bad, will endure after we're dead. Think about that for a minute. What will your life, your work, your service to God say about you when you're dead and gone? Here are some possible outcomes, some things your example might say after your death. For example, he never really put God first in his life. For him, it was all about work, his career, the accumulation of material things. When he died, he had a huge bank account, lots of investments, a big house and so forth. But as they say, you can't take it with you. Or how about this? She was all about appearances. She spent lots of time and money making sure that she had the latest fashions and the best of accessories. She really looked nice. But you know, in the end, she only wore one dress to her funeral. Or maybe this. He loved to hunt and fish, to go camping, play golf, and so forth. He had all the top-of-the-line equipment. And, oh yes, he'd frequently miss worship services to engage in his recreational pursuits. Even got his golf handicap down in the single digits. I heard they sold all of his gear for pennies on the dollar when he was gone. Or maybe this. She didn't like the preacher to deliver strong doctrinal sermons from the pulpit. Her constant complaint was that this sort of preaching would drive folks away. Sad to say, but none of those folks she was so concerned about offending even showed up at her funeral. We could go on and on, but you get the point. Is this how you want to be remembered after your death? It would be far better if it were said, He loved God and his life showed it. He would forego anything in order to put the Lord first. Career, money, possessions, recreation, the admiration of worldly-minded people and so forth, none of that compared in importance to serving faithfully in Christ's kingdom. He sure set a great example, and he will not be soon forgotten. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight and glad that you're here as well. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can find out arch- uh, find archives of last of previous programs of, uh, of the virtual Bible study. You can find Information on how to podcast this program as well as podcast recent sermons have been presented at the College of Church of Christ, as well as finding information about our meeting times and location. Visit our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and contact us anytime if you have any questions about what we believe, what we practice, or what you have heard on any edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address you can use to contact us. We're talking about common denominational false doctrines on the program tonight. We've talked, we've talked about faith only for salvation. We are now going to talk about once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved uh, um, goes by other descriptives or other names, I guess. Uh, once yes. saved, always saved is sometimes referred to as the impossibility of apostasy. Yes. 
Or the security of the believer. Yes, or the perseverance of the saints in the TULIP acronym yeah, for Calvinism. Exactly. So we're, those are all, we're all talking about the same thing. Okay, all right. If you want to know to what extent a true Calvinist takes this view, a very famous quote that circulates constantly is by Sam Morris. It's an older quote, and my guess is Sam Morris has long since died. He was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Stamford, Texas, when he said this. We take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. This is settled in Christ and Christ alone. Yes. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, and all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer, and all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. Yes. And so that's a pretty plain statement uh, of the extent to which this idea of once saved, always saved is taken. And it is a logical uh taking of that doctrine. I mean, it, that's if you believe that once saved, always you'd have to agree with everything that Sam Morris said there. If you're yeah, going to be that's, that's the thing. If you're going to if you're going to hold a position, you can't you can't make exceptions to yeah. it. It, yeah. Either, it is either so, and it's so for the murderer and the rapist and the uh, yep. whatever. If it's true, it's true. If it's if, if there's exceptions, then it's not true. And so, you, at least that Sam Morris fellow was consistent in his application of the doctrine he held. Okay. We think he's wrong. Now, go ahead. I was going to go to get to Chris's response. Yeah, do that. Chris says, again, this is something I hold, and here is my reason. Jesus says that his sheep will never perish but have eternal life. John 10, verse 28. How can eternal life be eternal if it can be lost, particularly when Jesus said uh, that they will never perish? Okay, stop there before you read the rest of that. Let's go to that text in John John chapter 10. It's a favorite uh, of those who teach the position of once saved, always saved. But read it in the context. Uh, Jesus said, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Mm-hmm. All right. What you got to notice in that is that it's a conditional statement. Yes. Notice verse 27. My, what? My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Now, as long as you keep doing that, as long as you keep hearing the Savior's voice, that is his instruction through the word, and as long as you keep following him, then the promise is certain. I give to them eternal life, they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my, out of my hand. What happens if you stop listening to the, to the Lord and you stop following him? Then the promise it doesn't follow. It's a conditional passage. It's yeah. not unconditional. It's conditional upon hearing and following, continuing to hear and follow uh, the Savior. All right. Uh, well, we have an example of that. I mean, you want to get to Simon the Sorcerer now? You want to go, go ahead? Ask? Go ahead. I mean, here's somebody who was one who had submitted his life to Christ. He had uh, become a Christian. He had both believed and been baptized. So whatever you I mean, argue, faith on, only. Uh, yeah. yeah you, uh, Chris agrees that he's been saved there because he believed. We'd say he believed and was obedient, and therefore he's a Christian. In Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 13, tells us that Joe Simon was undeniably a Christian. Yet he has fallen away when he wanted to buy 
the power uh, to bestow miracles on others, uh, wanted the gift of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy it with money. In verse 20, Peter said unto him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God, of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. What the New King James Version says there, that Peter or Simon has, well, if he hadn't fallen away, what, what, what has he, what's happened here? Yeah. So there's a case study. And yeah. we gave the case study for baptism from the Apostle Paul. Here's the case study on falling away, Simon the Sorcerer, in Acts chapter 8. Yeah. I mean, those passages seem quite clear. Uh, and it's not difficult to draw that conclusion. Okay. Uh, He's, then he gives one more verse here to, to argue his position. Uh, Chris suggests Romans 8, verse 38. Paul says nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Romans eight thirty eight says, For I am persuaded that neither, well, I, my Bible's torn right there, neither, uh, yeah. is that, or death, I guess that's, is that death or life or angels or principalities or powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know yeah. why my Bible has a it, hole. Right. Right. I got a hole in the page right there. Well, uh, there uh, was something that was able uh, to separate you from that passage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Yeah. So uh, They're not going to be able to separate us from they, the love of God. They can't separate us. They can't separate us. That means but, that means you could. Uh, they can't separate us. Yeah. What does it say about me separating yeah. myself? Yeah, right. By choosing to be disobedient and unfaithful. Yeah. Right. No, there's, that, not gonna, there's no power that's going to uh, against your will cause you to be lost eternally. Yeah, I I, I love that passage. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful passage. Yes. And it says that there's no force outside of me that can separate me from the love of God. But it doesn't say what I might be yeah. able to do. Right. Now, let's look at a couple of verses that teach that you, that I could choose to go a different way myself. Well, okay. Uh, what were you going to say? Well, Chris presents those verses. Yeah, he does. You. And I want to say uh, uh, one of them. I don't think Second Peter 1. He gives Second Peter 2, verse 1. Uh, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. I actually like the last part of that chapter better than yes. that. Second Peter 2, beginning verse 20. If, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, stop right there. Who's he describing? Saved people, right? They've they have, escaped. They, they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What happens? They are again entangled therein. In other words, they got unentangled. Now they're entangled again. Yes. Uh, and they're overcome. He says, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, but it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the yes. mire. Yeah. Man, that, that's straightforward. It's clearly talking about somebody who was saved, and now they've, they've given that up. Yeah. Now, now, no one separated them from the love of God. They separated themselves by the choice they made. It looks very obvious to me. And again, we ought to clarify this. We, there's no, we don't have any hidden agenda here. There's no reason why we wouldn't want to accept that, the idea the, of faith only salvation. Or once they've always said, I wish from my human perspective that both of those doctrines were true. Yeah. It, 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 I, it would be much more comforting. It would be much 
I mean, if I had to vote, I'd vote for those rather than what the scriptures say from a human perspective. Just from a human perspective, it'd be easier. Yeah. If I thought that I didn't have to be diligent, maintain faithful service to God, that once saved, I'm therefore always saved. Therefore, there's no there's no there's no spiritual threat. I don't even have to be careful. Yeah. That'd be an easy doctrine. Now, according to Chris, he believes that faith only all you have to do is believe and you're saved. And once you're saved, you can never be lost. According to Chris, all a person would need to do is just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Period. Stop there. Keep living your sinful life. Keep committing fornication. Keep stealing old ladies' purses. Keep violate, uh, breaking every law you can find. Cheat on your taxes. Do whatever you want. You can't. That's all you got to do is you just have to believe that so Jesus is the Son of God. So when you believed, you were saved. You're saved, and you can't fall away. And now since you're saved, you can't ever be lost. So just... I'm, but but wouldn't you think burn that... Burn your Bible. You don't need it. Burn the Bible. But wouldn't you think to stop doing those things involves more than just faith only? I would. But, he, but as you said, the true faith only position would argue you can believe and continue those things. You don't even have to repent. Well, it's not. It is. It, it can't be true. Now, Chris says on the surface there are good verses for both sides of this once saved, always saved okay. position, and he gives uh, several verses that say you can lose your salvation. Some verses he says that say you can't. Although I don't think they are. They are unconditional. But he says if there are verses used to support both sides. Then is there a contradiction in the Word of God? Of course not. There can be no contradiction in the inspired Word of God, only in our uninspired misunderstanding. I think that's right. I think he's correct. If if there appears to be a contradiction in the Scripture, then we have understood something wrong. Right. Because the Bible will not contradict itself. And therefore, we've got to take these passages that talk about... uh, our hope and our assurance and our uh, our confidence in our salvation, we've got to take those in harmony with the verses that say, while we have a confidence, we can't be overconfident, and we and, and although we were we are saved, we can't imagine that that's impossible to lose that salvation. Yeah, we, as you were talking there, uh, reminded me of First Corinthians nine verse twenty seven, where Paul. Says, I, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Why was Paul worried about that? Why didn't Paul worry to make sure that he was being obedient to, to God and, and Christ? All you have to do is believe, and you're saved. And once you're saved, you can never be lost. So Paul was he was paranoid there. But he said he felt he he felt the possibility that he could be a castaway. Yeah, but how so? Yeah, if faith only if, yeah, if you're saved, kind of, once saved, always saved. Did he have some kind of mental illness? He had some kind of phobia of something that didn't exist. It was impossible for him to fall away. But Paul still was worried that he could be a castaway. It doesn't make any sense if this doctrine is true. All right, I, I, we we're right up to our last break, but I want to give one more verse that's, that clearly, I think, teaches that once saved, you can be lost. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. If I had to pick two passages, that, and, and there's lots that we can use, but if I had to pick two, it'd be Second Peter 2, 20 through 22, which we just read about the dog returning to his vomit and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I'd also like... Galatians 5, verse 4. If I could only just have a couple of passages to use, I'd use Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Now, the context of Galatians 5 is about circumcision. Mm-hmm. And there were some of those Christians in the first century who were trying to bind the necessity of circumcision. Correct. Uh, we understand that, and that's the context that he's describing here. 
And, and, and so he says, Christ has become of no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, talking about the law of Moses and the law of circumcision, whosoever you are justified by law, you're fallen from grace. Yes. Now, we understand the context is about circumcision, but there's a, there's a principle stated there that you've got to key in on, the idea of falling from grace. He was writing to some Christians. He says, if you revert to trying to be justified by the law of Moses, you're fallen from grace. Yeah. We understand the context, but we're keying in on the idea you can fall from grace. Now, what was causing them to fall from grace might be clearly different, and I think certainly would be different than what might cause us to fall from grace. Mm-hmm. But the point we're stressing here is you can fall from grace right. for whatever reason. To fall from grace, you would have to first be in grace. Right. So here are people who were in the grace of God, saved people. Mm-hmm. If you're in the grace of God, you're a saved person. Right. But you can fall from grace. Yeah. Therefore, it's possible to lose your salvation. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Again, we're not, we don't have any hidden agenda here. In fact, uh, these, uh, the, the positions that Chris holds would be the more convenient position to hold. We think the scriptures do show, though, that it is possible for us to, as you said, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, fall from grace. And so we need, we uh, believe that uh, we need to be careful to be obedient to the instructions that God has given us. Well, it's time for a break. And when we get back, instrumental music. Chris disagrees with us on instrumental music, and he presents his arguments. We want to hear your arguments on the other side of the break. Do you believe we can worship God with instruments of music, or should that worship strictly be vocal? Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. At some point in the past year, the United States experienced its 55th millionth legal abortion, a number far more than the combined U.S. death toll of every American war since the nation's founding. The total spans 40 years, beginning with the January 22, 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion nationwide. The abortion count is based on data compiled by the Guttmacher Institute. To put the total of 55 million in perspective, the combined number of military deaths in all of America's wars, from the Revolutionary War to the Second Iraq War, is 1.2 million. That information is via the Baptist Press. The Word of God says in Proverbs 6, beginning verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour. One more question to get done here. We're not going to get through all five. We're going to get through three. On... And that's fine because uh, we really do appreciate that Chris has responded and, and disagreed with us. You know, we we often say, Jacob, that we're open to disagreements. We don't. We, you know, in fact, we think it it is good to be able to discuss all sides of a of a yeah. question. And yeah. so, Chris has given us that opportunity. We appreciate appreciate Chris for being willing to to have that discussion because many of these days are not. Many to say, well, it doesn't matter. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. We believe it does matter. We believe there is such a thing as absolute truth, and we can find it by looking to God's Word. Quick, before we go on, guess 14 uh, on the idea of once saved always says, says it is important to remember 
or to understand that God is just to forgive. And uh, I guess 14 references 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We uh, appreciate that. Guess 14, we do need to be reminded that God has made that way of pardon available. And guess 768 says, no, I agree with this, Stan, that no instrument save the voice is needed. Well, we would agree with that as well, guess 768. However, Chris uh, would disagree, and let's look at his argument. All right. Um, we ask, how's, how is instrumental music and in worship commonly argued? He said that psalm from the word solo means plucking, means a musical instrument. So obviously I'm plucking the book of Psalms rather than to see them just as a set of lyrics. Um, the, the, the word that um, Chris has reference to in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, speaking to yourselves in Psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The expression making melody there is the one that comes from the Greek word solo. Uh, and that that's the, the argument that maybe is most frequently used uh, to justify um, the use of instrumental music. That, that somehow or another in the word solo, which is making melody in the King James Version, Ephesians 5, verse 19, that that means to pluck or to pluck the strings of an instrument. Um, Now, what's interesting about that is that the people who spoke the language in the first century didn't see it that way. That was not their practice. Uh, And historically, we can confirm without dispute that the earliest Christians did not use instruments of music uh, in their worship services. Uh, Let me quickly give you uh, some quotes here. This is from... Uh, a man named Dickinson in a book called Instrumental Music in in Worship. He says, We know that instruments performed an important function in the Hebrew temple service and in the ceremonies of the Greeks. At this point, however, a break was made with all previous practice, and although the lyre and flute were sometimes employed by the Greek converts, as a general rule, the use of instruments in worship were condemned. Many of the early church fathers, speaking of religious song, make no mentions of, of instruments. Others, like Clement of Alexandria and St. Chrysostom, refer to them only to denounce them. A Lars Qualbin, in A History of the Christian Church, said singing formed an essential part of the Christian worship, but it was in unison and without musical accompaniment. George Klingman, in Church History, writes, The earliest reference is to the use of the flute and the harp in the second century. At Alexandria, Clement forbade the use of the flute on the ground that it was too worldly, substituted the harp. Uh, Ambrose is said to have introduced instrumental music in the West in the 4th century. Uh, Howard, in the book called What is the Church, says, In the Greek church, the organ never came into use, but after the 8th century, it became common in the Latin church. Not, however, without the opposition from the side, without opposition from the side of the monks. Yeah. Even in the Catholic Church, they opposed it. And this is my favorite quote along these lines. For years, the Baptists fought the introduction of instrumental music into the churches. Installation of the organ brought serious difficulties in many churches. That's a quote from a book by a man named Posey. The book is entitled The Baptist Church in the Lower Mississippi Valley. That's talking about churches, Baptist churches, in our general neck of the woods. That's got to be less than 200 years ago. Less than 200 years ago, the Baptists were arguing as to whether or not they should bring in the instrument. It has not always been so. But what's interesting is 
Church historians agree unanimously that the earliest Christians did not use instrumental music. Right. Now, if it's in that word, why didn't they? They knew this language implicitly. It was their native speaking tongue. Right. They knew whether that was a justification for instruments. Not. It's not that they never heard of using instruments in worship. Right. The, the Hebrews did it. The Jews right. did it. The Greeks did it. Right. But suddenly, these converts to Christianity didn't do it. Yes. Why not? I mean, they were familiar with the concept of instrumental music. They knew the Greek language. They knew the real meaning of the word solo. They didn't use instruments. And so to me, that argues that that word does not convey that notion. Right. So here we got we got the, the, the first century Christians who knew mm-hmm. the Koine Greek mm-hmm. as their native tongue. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. Long about the... Somewhere around the 10th century, the Greek church split from the Roman church. Yes. The Greek church, what we often refer to as the Greek Orthodox churches today, do not use instrumental music to this day, not in all aspects of the worship. I think they yeah. do incorporate in some. But here, here again, Greeks, right. the Latins right. used, the Latin church, the Roman Catholics used instruments. The Greeks did not. Did not. Mm-hmm. And then in the modern day, we have got, Dozens of English translations of the New Testament. Dozens. Mm-hmm. And I don't know of one legitimate English translation of the New Testament that translates solo as the playing of in- musical instruments. Okay. So what we're saying there is that all of the people throughout the centuries who knew the Greek language the best right. did not believe that the word solo justified the use of mechanical instruments of music. And so does that word mean that? I think not. Yeah, I, I would agree. Let's go on. And um, we need to carefully look at uh, Chris's answers here. I, I'm, I have an idea that maybe guest 768 in the chat room might, may have been Chris. Uh, he can see, he goes on. He says, a non-biblical quote for this has never been, more, been stated more clearly than in the Westminster Confession of Faith. The acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. So we are to come with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then Chris says, all of which don't expressly need musical accompaniment, and to say so, uh, say, to say does, so could make you guilty of eisegesis and reading into it what you want to see rather than what is there. Well, but think about that. If it is allowed, it's actually commanded. In other words, Ephesians 5.19 doesn't state instrumental music as an option. If it justifies instrumental music, if that word, solo, means to accompany with instrumental music, then it's not just allowed, it's commanded. Right. speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's not saying that 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 wouldn't. I'm making myself clear. You're making yourself clear. That that wouldn't say, well, you can do it if you want to or not. It would say if that's what that word means, then we would have to do it that way. Right. Right. So so if it said uh, playing baseball or speaking yourselves with baseball and Cracker Jack, well, then we'd have to have a ball and a bat and be playing. We couldn't just, you know, we couldn't just be setting, you know, 
eating Cracker Jack, we, we'd have to be doing what it says. Yeah. It, yeah. If it says you're speaking yourself. That may not yourself, be the best analogy. No, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying to think of this, too. But what you're saying is if it's the instruction uh, that you're to speak to yourselves in psalms, well, if the psalms, if that means instruments, then you better get the flute and the lyre and whatever else you want to use. You better get that out. Yeah. I had a listing of all the Bible verses in the New Testament that talk about music. Yes. And they all, there are eight of them. I won't take time to read them or list them, but there, there are eight verses, passages in the New Testament that reference music, and it's always singing without music, uh, musical instrument accompaniment. All right. Uh, I mean, that, that just that, that seems uh, real straightforward, and I, I think we have to, again, Jacob, I think what's interesting is we're not taking that position because we have some agenda against instrumental music. No. I like instrumental music. It'd be a lot easier if, to if sing, it was up to me. Yeah. I would have a whole band. I wouldn't just have an organ. I'd have the whole nine yards. Uh, and, and so, and I'd hook it up to an amplifier so that I couldn't be heard singing, it. and that would help everybody's worship yeah, probably. Yeah, might be. But but the point of it is, we're not. We're saying this is not a matter of personal likes or dislikes. We're trying. To understand the scriptures and follow them right. as closely and carefully as we can. Now, I, we better be fair to Chris. I, his answer to that third one is a little bit confusing, and I don't know exactly where he does stand. But. Well, I, I kind of take it the idea that he's saying it. He thinks it's allowable, but not necessary. Okay. Which I think is an untenable position. Yes, it is. If it's allowable, I agree. With you. I agree with it's you. necessary. Right. Because he said, yeah, right. Okay. All right. Well, we're out of time. We're out of time. We we got the first three questions. Uh, we had also suggested we might talk about miracles still being performed by men today and premillennialism. Those are actually two topics that we've talked about before on the virtual Bible study. We didn't get to them because we wanted to deal rather thoroughly with Chris's responses to our questions. And so, uh, uh, no doubt, we'll we'll be back on those themes at another time on the virtual Bible study. We have an event coming up about a month away that we need to be telling people about so that they can make plans to be here. On Monday night and Tuesday night, June 17th and 18th, we're going to do, for the third year, uh, something we've uh, sort of instituted here called Bible Studies in the Park at at Woodland Park here in Columbia, Tennessee, uh, at the Natural Amphitheater, which is there in that park. We're going to meet for two nights of Bible study. Mm -hmm. Uh, David McPherson from Galena, Indiana, is going to come, and he and I are going to bring some lessons Along the general theme of does it matter, Okay. we, we get the idea from a lot of people in the religious world that it, nothing really matters. You can pretty much do as you please. Yeah. But yeah. we're going we're gonna to f- pursue the theme does it matter. For instance, we're going to talk about does it matter what I did to be saved? Uh, does it matter how I worship? Does it matter what church I'm a member of? Those are does the kind matter? of questions we're going to talk about. Does it matter? That's June 17th and 18th, 7 o'clock in Columbia, Tennessee at the Amphitheater in Woodland Park. If you are in our area and able to attend, uh, we can get you more specific directions. Uh, Just send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. If you're not in our area and are able to attend, questions at collegeview.com. Exactly. And we will also try to make those, uh, uh, at least the audio of those lessons available after the fact. We may podcast those. Why not do that? All right. Well, it's been a good discussion, Dad. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. And thanks to Chris for presenting an opposing view for us tonight and uh, helping us to uh, understand the scriptures by looking at uh, at the other side of the of the coin appreciate that chris and uh, we hope that you uh, if you have comments that you'll send them to questions at collegeview.com anyone who has questions 
or comments or suggestions for future editions of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome those at questions at collegeview.com. Jeff has been behind the controls tonight. Thanks, Haven't Jeff. gotten Jeff tonight, but Jeff, thank you for your help. A job well done. And thank you for being a part of the program tonight. Hope you will make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.